You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Two years ago, two summers ago, we did a series we called Summer Playlist, and we did it in the Psalms. And I now it comes like summer, and I'm wanting to read the Psalms again. And last summer, we, we did a series on the Holy Spirit, and this summer, I circled back and went, you know, I've done the math, and there's 150 of them, and the summer was like nine weeks. So I thought there were like plenty of stuff we could still get to for our summer play, playlist um, volume, volume two. I, I think the, the more that I dive into the Psalms, the more I end up understanding them as a whole. So I used to read them as one-offs. Maybe you read them as one-offs too. And so when I'm, when I'm happy, when things are well, I would love to read a, a praise psalm, a psalm that's just, you know, praise the Lord kind of thing. And then when I'm kind of sad or when um, things are heavy, then I'll lean into one of the laments of the psalms. And you can kind of feel the emotion of the writer of the psalms in it. And it kind of gives you some kind of comfort. Um, but... M- even though it's fine to read the Psalms in that, in that way, the Psalms, however, really aren't a novel, something we read from start to finish. They're a collection of poems and songs and prayers, and they were collected over a, a, a time of history of Israel, and they're not compiled, they're not compiled until the Babylonian exile and captivity, right? So, so they were... They were written and they were one-offs per se, and then they get pieced together during a time in Israel's history when they needed the collection, when they needed the collection. I think it's important to understand that. The better I understand the Psalms, I, real, I, I come to a better understanding of myself, I found. I have a better understanding of the history of Israel when I read the Psalms. And I have a better understanding of who God is the more time I stay in the Psalms. Um, you know, have you noticed when, you, when you're emotionally down or when you drained, just knowing that your experience is shared by someone else makes you feel better? I'm not talking about misery loves company. You know, I'm just talking about that you, you, pain or hardship or challenge ends up being a very isolating thing. The, the enemy has a great way of being able to maneuver and leverage that to isolate us and feel, make us feel like we're alone. And yet, you can open up the Psalms and you can read and experience struggle. That's comforting. How about when, 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 when something goes really well and you're really excited and you don't have anybody to share that with? It kind of tampers that down, right? I mean, you know, no one to high five and you're just there by yourself. And so all you're really left with is, you know, and it just loses it just loses something, right? See, I even almost missed right there. It's age is doing that to me. Um, the Psalms are to be experienced and felt as much as they're to be understood and applied. And I'm more cerebral, if you will. I have a tendency to look at things more formula. You'll notice a lot of my teaching, I'm, I'm pulling out stuff, and, and that's kind of how my brain works. But I can tell you that my heart needs to feel an experience. Because there's so many things that get in my head that never get to my heart. But most everything that gets to my heart gets to my head. And so even though I still probably can't change how I teach, 
Um, I want you to feel and experience the Psalms as much as I want you to apply them. So I said that they're not random bits of poetry, but they're strategically arranged symphony, each one playing its respective part. All right. Um, and it's, again, it happens, the compilation happens after Israel's taken to Babylonian captivity, so they end up having the Psalms in captivity. Now, um, I know that most worship pastors and leaders want to say it's our hymn book, it's something we sing, and for sure these poems and prayers and things were sung. Um, but it's more than a song book. It's a history book. It's a God's faithfulness book. Um, they're not just meant to be sung. They're, um, they're to get down deep. I, I wrote it this way. The one, one of the things they teach us centrally is that God's past faithfulness cements his future faithfulness regardless of your present circumstance. And this is what the Psalms, as this collection, like no one Psalm tells the whole story, right? So as a collection of these, this is one of the main things that's communicating to Israel in bondage, that God's past faithfulness cements his future faithfulness regardless of present circumstances. So even though I'm only going to cover one Psalm today, I want to give you the context of how they fit together. So Psalm 1 and 2 form an introduction. These are anonymous psalms. Um, so David writes 73. There's 150. There's um, 48 anonymous. And 29 are assigned to other people. And so they'll have them, uh, you'll have their names in the headings around those. So the first two psalms are anonymous. And they set up the book as an introduction. The last five psalms form a conclusion. Uh, an introduction. How many people skip the introduction when you read a book? Shame on you. Shame, shame, shame on you. The introduction of a book will introduce you to the, really the reason why the author writes it, right? And, and, and the pain that they went through to crank that thing out, you, you get some of the insight in the introduction. But here's something else an introduction does for you. An introduction tells you where the author is going and why it's important to go there with them. This is what Psalms 1 and 2 will do for us for all the Psalms. They will tell us where the author is going and why it's important to go there with them. A conclusion frames what you learned and marks where you've landed. I had one person years and years ago, they sent me a, sent me a text and said, man, pastor, I really love the way you preach. And so I said, well, what do you mean? Because um, everybody has different opinions of that. And he said, well, you tell me what you're going to tell me. And then you tell me, and then you tell me what you told me. And, and he said, I, 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 need, I need you to do all those three things for me. Um, so telling me what you told me, the conclusion is, hey, here, here is where you have been, and, and here is where you should land and stay. That's what the last line does. So Psalm 1 informs the reader that the path of, a path of the life to blessing, the path to a life of blessing, is to meditate on the Torah, meditate on God's teaching, meditate on, in, in this case, they're referring to the first five books of the Bible, which what they would have, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, all right? Now, interesting enough, when you read through the Psalms, you're gonna come across headings that say book one, book two, book three, book four, book five. Isn't it interesting? Five books in the Torah, five books in Psalms, saying if you will follow, meditate, sit in, what God is teaching, this is the path to a life of blessing. 
Your blessing will be your partner. Now, your partner might not be your blessing all the time. Give it time, it'll get to the back. He's saying this is the blessing. So here's, um, here's how Psalms 1, just the first four, four verses reads. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, sits in. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prosper. Now, think about Israel in captivity. And they're still being called back in Psalms 1 as an introduction to all these other Psalms, that if you will, even in your current context, sit and meditate in the word, then it will be a blessing and bear fruit in your life. All right, so Psalm 2 then speaks to the futility of foreign kings believing that they will have the last word over God's people even when said people are in exile. All right, in other words, don't attach your hope to the present church. Church, don't attach yourself to the present. Israel, do not attach yourself to the present because a messianic king comes in the future. All right, so here's the part of the psalm. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in the heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. What a great image. The Lord scoffs. I don't even know exactly what a scoff looks like, but I mean, I would love that scoffs. Really, do you think this is going to work against me? Scoff. You know, I don't, <laughs> unnerved, unmoved, unintimidated by whatever plans, plots, or progress that anything seems to be going on around us. Psalm 2, he's saying, the Lord scoffs at that. So he rebukes them in his anger, terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son, today I've become your father. Here, here, this is a messianic prophecy. Ask me, I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Love the imagery. Therefore, you, you, you kings, be wise and be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he'll be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You may be in exile, but if you stay and you meditate in the word of God, it will guide you and your life will be fruitful regardless of where you think you are now. And you might think everything else is ruling what's going on. No, he scoffs at all of that. He's the one still ruling. Um, it is a prayer book for God's people who are serving in a faithful, uh, serving, uh, striving to be faithful in a hostile land under adverse leadership. Does that sound familiar? It's a prayer book for God's people who are striving to be faithful in a hostile land under adverse leadership. We can see this application. Um, and God uses everything in our life to shape us. He wastes nothing. And so 
the, the, the history of Israel, that they can go back and they can see how God used what I, what I would call middle experiences, things that were hard, um, times when they were in desert and exile, and he's, he's, he's showing them, I don't, waste, I don't waste any of that. I don't waste any of that. I use and I rule in all of that. Um, I have a phrase that I've used for a while um, when I was... Um, I preached a sermon called Hope in Empty Places, and I've, I've written a, a book to that regard. Um, and in that, I use this phrase, waiting isn't wasted. Waiting isn't wasted. God doesn't waste waiting. And then in the men's breakfast on, um, on Saturday, we had a speaker in, and he, he was talking about patience, the fruit of the Spirit. And it was, it was amazing, wasn't it? Shane? It was amazing teaching around patience. You try teaching 40 men about patience. Okay, and, and, um, and what I loved, I, I, I've adapted this saying now, waiting isn't wasted unless we're anxious in the middle. Because if, we're, if, we, if we stay anxious and keyed up, then we are wasting, we are wasting what can be settledness, settledness even in those circumstances. Now, if any of you ever been in the middle, they can be, they can be you know, horrendous. I'm not saying they're not emotional. I'm just saying that what, what, what the Psalms will end up teaching us, if, if we sit in those middles just anxious, what we're doing is we're, we're separating ourselves from the peace that God wants to give us even in the middle of all of that. Um, and the collection of songs, poems, and prayers known as the Psalms help us live that way. All right, that's, so that's how the Psalms are introduced to us. How are the Psalms, how, what's the conclusion like? Where should we end up after reading the Psalms, all right? So all of the last five, they start with one phrase and they end with the same phrase, okay? Hallel Yah in the Hebrew, Hallel Yah. So Hallel there, praise, Yah short for Yahweh. So Hallel Yah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This is where we get this word, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And I've been in at least, it's been at least 17 countries standing alongside other brothers and sisters in Christ in worship experiences that I did not know their language and they did not know my language, but we shared this same word in worship. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So those five that bookend the Psalms tell us where he's taking us and where we land after them is that regardless of whatever history we have, we land, praise the Lord. We land, praise the Lord. We can and we can land, praise the Lord, because there, there is, there are, there, he's worthy of praise. Listen to these three ways that I, can, I, I believe he's worthy of praise. He's worthy of praise in the worst of times and the best of times because time does not change him. Psalms teach us that. He's worthy of praise in the worst of times. He's worthy of praise in the best of times because time does not change him. He's worthy of praise because he doesn't abandon us in our rebellion. The Psalms teaches us that God does not abandon us in rebellion. He didn't abandon Israel in the rebellion. He doesn't um, run away from us in our rebellion. Is there any rebellious people in the room? 
in our rebellion, he doesn't abandon us, which makes him worthy of praise. The last one, he's worthy of praise even in exile because exile is temporary and it's redemptive. Man, I wish I lived like that more. That exile is redemptive and temporary. Punishment, you've heard me say this, punishment is about me. When I punish you, if I'm going to punish you and be angry with you, it's all about me. If I'm going to, if discipline is about you, correction and discipline is about shaping you. Punishment is about me just getting off my emotions. God doesn't punish his kids. He disciplines his kids. He corrects his kids. In fact, scripture links his love to that fact that he disciplines those he loves. And I guarantee if you haven't been there yet, you'll get there someday where you get disciplined by God. But that discipline is redemptive. Amen. He redeems and shapes us in those circumstances. This is what the Psalms teach us. This is why we praise the Lord. Psalms, again, is a prayer book of God's people who are striving to be faithful to the Torah, the teachings of God, waiting for the Messianic kingdom, and he is worthy to be praised. Psalms are so important that it is the most quoted book in the New Testament. Psalms and Isaiah. Psalms, 68 times, Psalms are quoted in the New Testament. Here is something that spans the history of time and spans our history as well. If you're looking for a way to ground your faith this summer, I encourage you to jump in the Psalms. I did the math. We're going to have 56 days between this Sunday and the last Sunday of July when I finish this series. All right? There are 150 of them, a little under three a day. You know, out there... Um, we still have this Life 180. This is a guide of reading the scripture in 180 consecutive days. All right, so we broke it down. The New Testament, 40 days, and the Old Testament, 140 days. And the premise here is, if we stayed and meditated in the word for 180 days, that it will change your life 180 degrees. You, because you can't do it in 180 days without taking like sincere time to sit in and soak in it, because it takes a while to get through. I said 20 minutes when I first introduced it. I lied. It takes longer. Um, and I can tell you right now in the Old Testament, I'm like my second time through this, but I'm like 14 days behind, and I don't know if I'll ever catch up. But, but, but July 3rd is when I'm supposed to be done with the second time reading that. Um, are you looking for hope in a dark time? Here's a psalm for you. Some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God, Psalm 27. That's the kind of stuff you find there in the Psalms. So I'm gonna start with Psalm 103, even though I've just given you basically seven Psalms. Here's Psalm 103, uh, um, two thirds through the book. Here's the first six verses. Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being praise his holy name, Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases who redeems your life from, the, from a pit 
crowns you with love and compassion, pretty good distance from pit to crown, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. It's a pretty comprehensive psalm in terms of all that the psalmist is telling us the Lord addresses. And I don't know why I feel this way, but I kind of feel like David wrote this in the morning. <laughs> no proof. Just go with me. I feel like in the, in the morning, maybe after a particular hard day, he's saying, okay, soul, wake up. Wake up. Praise the Lord. Come on, soul. Get up. Let's praise the Lord. Because what he says is, and forget not all his benefits, all right? Our memories, we have short memories when things are hard, don't we? Almost all of us in here would say, now if you don't, you don't believe the pattern, think about it. Think about how much good gets erased with one bad review, with um, one car repair, with one, right? And it's just all the good, we, we just focus, I stub my toe, my head hurts, right? Everything, everything condenses down. And he's saying that then, then this, his memory, come on, soul, let's, let's, let's bypass this dysfunction in our memory of when things are hard, that we get sad and down and grieved, and let's remember his benefits, right? Now, if, if, you, if you work for a company that has benefits, right, salaries are not universal, Right? You're going to make different amount of money at different companies and you're going to, based on experience or position or tenure or something, salaries where you work are going to be all over the map. But benefits have to be the same. You can't offer one benefit to one group of employees and not offer the same benefit to another group of employees from the CEO all the way down, all the, way down the food chain. All right? So... All of us are in process. All of us are in different positions made with Christ. Some of you are just still figuring out if he exists or if he's good like, like people say. Um, is it any applicable today? And maybe you've walked with him for 60, 70, 80 years, right? So there's a depth to your relationship that may, someone else might not have, but we all get the same benefits. We all have access to the same benefits of God. Um, and he, what David is trying to do here is he's trying to kind of wake his soul up from the memory that's been depleted with all these benefits of God. This is, does anybody talk to themselves? Anyway? Right. So this is self-talk. I did some research that was very, very disturbing this week. So the average person, that wasn't funny. Maybe David said something funny. All right. Um, Oh, you don't think I do research. That's what you're laughing at. All right. The, the average person, 60,000 thoughts a day. And 75% of those are negative. It's staggering, isn't it? But by my personal experience, I'm telling you, that percentage is pretty doggone close. All right. Now, I thought this number was higher, but I, I thought it was seven positive comments to erase one negative. That's what I had thought it was. It's... The research I showed was three, but it still takes three to get you back to zero till you're flat again. This tells me for, for a lot of reasons, we'll, we'll capitulate to the negative and not the positive, which is why I think David here is writing, come on, soul. Come on, soul. Let's remember the benefits of God. 
The benefits of God will counteract this. Here are some, here's some benefits. Here's some benefits of God. Forgiveness of sin. It is the quintessential benefit for every believer. That that which has separated us from our life giver is gone. That something that nobody else could do, he did. Number one benefit. We are sons and daughters of God when you receive the forgiveness of God. You go from outsider to insider. This, this passage tells us that he heals all, our, all diseases. Now we know God doesn't heal everyone. So what does the psalm say? Heal all diseases, which means there is no diagnosis outside the scope of what he can heal. There, there isn't any ailment that somehow like he does really good on these five but these two give him trouble, right? Heals all diseases, redeems life. Redemption is always the result of repentance. I've had people through the years, pastor, I don't, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm in relationship with God. I don't know how he feels about me. I will tell you that repentance always results, uh, redemption always results when there's repentance. That's right. I repent, I'm redeemed. Forgives all our sin, redeems our life, love and compassion. He gives good gifts. Um, anybody in here, that's your love language, gift giving, receiving gifts. Woo, man, those are some fast hands right there, right? Give me some gifts, right? So, so this is very particular. It's not any gift he gives us. These are good gifts, right? These aren't the ones you repurpose. There's some regifters in the room. You keep these gifts. Renewed strength. You've been around people that drain you of strength? Do you recognize those people? Right? This is not God. God is not one who sucks life out of you. God is the one who breathes stuff into you. So why is it then there is a reluctance to move to God in hardship? Who do you think is encouraging that? Where is that self-talk, negative self-talk coming from? What tone of voice is that in your ear? That's the enemy's tone of voice because he knows the closer we get to God, the stronger we are because he breathes life into us. He redeems us. He forgives us. He gives us good gifts. There's love and compassion there. And whatever it can take to keep you away from that, he will do. He will speak. And I told you last week that when you hear, when, why is it that we gravitate to that? It's because there's something about our spirits, little s, that's so broken and insecure that those things sound so true. They sound true, they feel true, and we gravitate to them. That's why the Psalms can speak into that and, and, and David to teach us, all right, soul, wake up. Let's not forget his benefits. He's also righteous and justice. So who, what, he does is, what he does is who he is. You find yourself in a situation that you don't think is just, he's just. He's justice. All right. Here's the middle part of that psalm. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. That is the opposite of every single thing in our world. The complete opposite. When you get what you deserve, you make your bed, you lie in it. 
right? That's everything we live in. And yet in relationship with God, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Fear is a word used often in scripture and it doesn't mean afraid in any context in relation to God. It is fearing the Lord is to honor the Lord, um, to lean into the Lord, to have respect for the Lord. When I have respect and honor and I lean into a relationship with the Lord, that is what that, is what that always means, especially when we read it in the Old Testament. Um, where'd I go? As far as, uh, see, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Psalmist David here is drawing the attention back to what God had did for Israel in, in the desert. That's what he's bringing up to Moses, okay? So he's bringing him, you're in exile now, Israel's in exile now, okay? But here's something you need to know. Um, you always get this when you get God. Have you been around someone that you never know what you're gonna get when you're around them? Are you married to that person? Gina was married to that person for a while. I, I remember very specifically one day getting, I mean, like the revelation just hit me that she was measuring her words in a conversation with me. And I don't know what happened that particular day for me to recognize that. But I recognized she was being very careful of how she was asking a question. And I asked her, why are you being so careful? Because I don't know how you're going to react. Now, I can't promise you I've stopped all that. But I can guarantee you that I've been more cognizant of that from that moment on, that she should not have to guess who she's married to. We never have to guess what we get from God. Are we going to get angry, God? Are we going to get distracted, God? Are we going to get ignored, God? What are we going to get from God? We're going to always get the same thing from God. This consistent, he goes through these, compassion. We're going to get consistent grace. We're going to get intentional Patience. He says slow to anger, which kind of means he'll get there. But he's slow in getting there. Love. Forgiveness. This is the consistent thing that we get from God. God is not capricious. He goes to great lengths to try to tell us this. That everyone, everyone can receive the gift of salvation. They died for Everyone, his love is contained in the cross. So he died for you and me, specifically, before we were ever born. So his love is it's covenantal. God responds out of covenant, things that are his, that are disconnected from who we are and what we do. This is important to understand. Covenant, he responds out of covenant. His hesed, a covenantal blessing. This is what is, is his. We receive that. We do not diminish God. He gives us all that he is. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. He says, for as high as the heavens above the earth, so great is his love for those around. 
How high is the heaven above the earth? I, I don't know. Is it measurable? I think that's the point. <laughs> it's not measurable. How, I don't know how high. It's high enough. It's when Paul, went, Paul writes, I wish that you could grasp how wide, how tall, how deep is the love of God. And goes on to say that, it's un, that you can't grasp it. And so how do you explain something that can't be grasped? The way I can explain it is it's enough. Like wherever I am in the moment, it's enough. Wherever I am tomorrow, it's enough. I can't tell you how much it is. I can just tell you it's enough. Wherever you sit today, it's enough. It's enough. Then he says, how, he, then he, he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. So how far is that? So I, I already figured it out in the first service. Gina, help me. So I'm north here. So this is east, okay? So how far would it take me walking this way, east, before I ever get to west? Right? I don't ever get there. You don't ever get to west. It just, you'll continue to go east. Now, if I go north, eventually I will go south. But if I go east, I will never go west. And this is the imagery that he gives us. Where, where the enemy wants to always keep us in this, I don't know where I sit with God. I don't know what he feels about me. I don't know where I am. The, he wants to keep us in that insecure, not sure how we relate, and yet the Psalms are telling us, again, redemption follows repentance. Repentance is results in forgiveness. Forgiveness results in relationship. I'm raised to life. And what about that old, that old me? Well, this is, let's just keep walking east. We'll never run into it. You'll never run into it. As far as the east is from the west. Um, same covenant. Same covenant that was addressed to Israel is addressed to us. All right, here's the last part of the psalm. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over and it's gone and its place is remembered no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. Israel would have known of the, the sins of the fathers from generation to generation and there's a flip in Psalms that it's talking about the righteousness through generations. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. The life mortals are like grass. He knows how we are formed. You know, most of our lives, we spend our lives trying to limit how much people see of us. Right? When we think about dating, the art of dating is not letting your date know really everything there is to know about you. Right? I mean, it, I'm going to hide the worst of who I am as long as possible. So hopefully that they'll get to the place where they love me enough so that this stuff doesn't impact how they love me. 
We don't start out by saying, you know, I pick my fingernails in bed, right? I mean, we, we, we don't start with stuff like that. And yet, in this very passage, it's saying that God knows that we were dust. In fact, he was there. In the most intimate of creative experiences, he speaks the, wor- the world into existence. He gathers up the dirt to form animals, and yet with man, he breathes into us. How intimate is that? He knows all there is to know. The stuff we don't want anybody else to know. He knows all of that stuff. And it says his love and his grace and his compassion is given to us. We would say anyway. There's a clip from an, um, an older movie called Wonder that I think expresses this idea of knowing and loved really well. That is not the way we leave the table. Hey, come on. Talk to me. Sit down. Take that off, please. It'll be okay. Why do I have to be so ugly? You are not ugly, Augie. You just have to say that because you're my mom. Oh, because I'm your mom, it doesn't count? (laughs) Yeah. Because I'm your mom, it counts the most. Because I know you the most. You are not ugly, and anyone who cares to know you will see that. They won't even talk to me. It matters I look different. I try to pretend that it doesn't, but it does. I know. Is it always going to matter? I don't know. Honey, listen. Look at me. We all have marks on our face. I have this wrinkle here from your first surgery, and I have these wrinkles here from your last surgery. This is the map that shows us where we're going. And this is the map that shows us where you've been. And it's never, ever ugly. Can you say it any better than that? This is the map to where I'm going. This is the map where I've been. He, he, knows, he knows all of those scars and what's put them there. And it's not that he loves us anyway. It's just he loves us. Right? Anyway would be, well, that diminishes the product at a certain level, but he'll still love you at that diminished level. That's not, that's not the love of God love of God isn't sees us in some diminished level God will always see us through the eyes of Christ on the cross the enemy is always going to want to remind you of who you were 
God is always, the Spirit is always trying to get to see you as you are in His eyes. It, it, is, it is the constant cosmic struggle. Will we be defined or limited or would we, will we turn to a gracious Father who will receive us and love us? Psalms are an amazing compilation of prayers, songs, and poems held together as a collection for those in exile to lament and to praise. And Psalm 103 is to challenge your memory. Wake up, soul. I know it doesn't look good. Wake up, soul. I know yesterday was hard. Wake up, soul, and remember the benefits of God. Allow the benefits of being a son and daughter of God speak into the scars and the heart of life. You are the only one who can let God in. But if you will let him in, he will do his best work. And so where we land today is if, if, you, if you've never received the love of the Father, can I help you today to connect it to repentance? That you'll never experience the love of the Father until you accept the fact that you are away from him. Repentance owns where you've been and it releases where you're going to him. And in that repentance, redemption and life comes. If, if you've never owned that, today is a day to own that, to ask for that forgiveness that comes to Christ and start living in the new light that he has for you, the compassion, the grace, the love for you. Let him soak in there. That's one landing place. The other landing place is for you to leave today doing some positive, godly, spiritual self-talk. Wake up, soul. Wake up. There is so much here I have in Christ that so far outweighs even where I find myself now. Come on, soul. Come on, soul. Let's look into the truth. Let's look into the truth. Let's get this truth down deep in our hearts so we can live it out in a different way. In our response song, there's multiple ways for you to respond today. You can always come forward where someone can link their faith with yours and pray for you, whether you're praying to receive Christ or just praying because you you need to remember those benefits of God today. We have communion on my left and my right. It is the consummate sacrament reminder of what Christ did for us on the cross. I had a conversation with a young couple after the first service. The young girl looks at me and she said, I really wanted to come forward today and move. It just felt so awkward. Now when it does, doesn't it? It is maybe the most awkward thing you'll ever look at during a given week. I said, and yet what I have found is in movement, things stick with me. When I don't move, 
my mind swirls. I'm like, did that really happen? Did I really do this? Did God? But movement change, whether it's standing up, whether it is clicking the QR code and wanting to talk with me more about what it means to give your life to Christ. It's going to be right there on that front page when you click on that. Or getting up and receiving communion. The wonderful thing was watching someone else in that conversation with me walk that young lady to the side and have a time of prayer. This isn't a TED Talk. And I'm not a professor. This is not college or high school or middle school. I'm not here to try to impart to you some knowledge that you didn't have so that you'd leave more educated in the scripture today. That is not my goal. My particular goal is to try to unwrap the word in such a way that your head and your heart go, ah. So that's so that's what's possible. So that's what's next. And so that's why the crescendo kind of comes down in the moment. That what are you going to do with what you believe that God is stirring in your heart? I can't stir that in you. That's the Holy Spirit stirring that in you. How are you going to respond to that stirring? My challenge to you week in and week out is don't come in those doors and leave in the same posture in and go out in the same posture. Allow the Spirit to change your posture. Allow Him to change your thinking. Allow Him to change your heart. You, you are the only one in control of that. It doesn't matter how good or how bad anybody sings or talks. You are in complete control. So Father, in this moment, I speak against the enemy's negative self-talk that would say, too much has been done. It's too late for me. I wish all that was possible. Those very words that you are hearing are the exact proof that a new life can be found in Christ with a voice telling you it's too late is the very voice to say that it's right now. It's not too late. For others in here, wake up your soul today. You wake it up. Holy Spirit, do in these last moments the stuff only you can do when someone lets you in. So stand with me. Engage in worship receive communion, come to the altar. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.